why this is India's decade. Well, if you stick with me for the next 30 minutes or 35 minutes or 40 minutes, maybe you will become a believer too. I'll read out a couple of lines from a note that I read recently. Conditions are in place for an economic boom fueled by offshoring, investment in manufacturing, the energy transition, and the country's advanced digital infrastructure, obviously India's. And in a world that is currently starved of growth, the opportunity set in India must be on global investors' radar. These are two sentences in a 127-page report by T. Morgan Stanley, one of the chief architects of this note. Rhythm Desai joins us to talk about that note. Rhythm, um, I don't want to question you because if this is India's decade, it's great news, but I want to thank you for talking to us about this note. It's my pleasure to be with you. I, you know, I love you. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're one much. of the best people out there in this business. So it's always good to chatting with you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for that. I'm already happy. Now, let's talk about what's the bedrock. But do question me. Of course, it's, I it's, it's It's in fun. Yes. Yeah, challenge everything in that report if you have uh, managed to go through the whole thing. Yeah. But yeah. A, a fair degree of it. A yeah. fair bit of it. Okay. So, uh, but I first want to start you. What's the bedrock of this uh, statement, which is mm-hmm. that why this is India's decade and this note as well? See, Neeraj, I actually look at India as a quintessentially self-help story in a world that is highly challenged. And it's not about the Russia-Ukraine war. It's about a world that is facing two big, uh, in fact, I would say four Ds, okay, which is one is demographics. It's aging. It's really aging. And when Elon Musk says that, you know, uh, population is a bigger problem than climate change, I kind of agree with him. It is very hard to reverse, you know, population declines. And, you know, some major population declines <coughs> are likely to happen in the coming years. The second is decarbonization. As the war is proving, it's not going to be an easy path. And, you know, the conviction that the planet had on decarbonization is going to get, uh, you know, rattled in the coming months. Especially if the war doesn't uh, turn its, you know, back. And even if it doesn't, what com- countries in Europe have experienced, for example, uh, is certainly going to reset their thinking. The third is digitalization. Okay, this is a disruptive force. It's going to take some businesses down. And, uh, you know, every, every two, three decades, disruptive forces happen. I don't think the disruption of the 2020s is anything special. Uh, I always point to the 1870 decade for the peak of disruption. Hmm. That was the decade in which man invented the internal combustion engine, the telephone, and the electric bulb. It forever changed how we moved. It forever changed how we communicated. And of course, you know, the electric bulb had its own implications. So can you imagine these were probably amongst the you know biggest inventions of the uh, you know industrial era. And they all happened in a single decade. Hmm. So you can imagine what that did, right? So, it, but digitalization is a force that we have to currently reckon with. And it's going to have some, um, you know, disruption. So these, these uh, changes that are happening in the world are likely to challenge how the world progresses. And in the midst of this, India is actually making uh, its own story. So that's why quintessentially self-help. So there are three things that are happening. Uh, and those are based on four foundations. Uh, and three out of these four foundations are India's own doing. Hmm. So the first foundation is the multipolar world thesis that we have uh, as Mormon Stanley, which is essentially the world was multi uh, bipolar. 
China dominated production, US dominated consumption. Now it's becoming multipolar and it's going to spread out. India is a big beneficiary of that. India will receive some of those production investments for many reasons, uh, amongst them including the fact that India is also a growing consumer market. So it's an attractive destination to put up a factory. And the government is feeding this with uh, its you know, tax incentives, etc. The second is our commitment to Paris Accord, okay, which means that we are now committed to net zero in 2070 and there is a massive investment happening in renewables. Now, this may not have been thought about uh, at the time or maybe it was thought about, but the implication of this is that we are liberating ourselves from the volatility in the energy markets, which mm-hmm. brought us down to our knees in 1990 when Iraq decided to uh, you know, attack Kuwait and I always consider August 2, 1990 as a very important date in Indian history, modern Indian history, you know, as important as any date that you can think of. Because that day when Saddam Hussein decided to attack Kuwait and oil prices doubled, basically our balance sheet went bust. And we had to go to the IMF in the subsequent months and the IMF put this condition that you got to open up. Otherwise, on our own, we may not have chosen 1991 as the year to open up. Maybe it happens, you know, it would have happened in 2021, right? So, the Paris Accord is therefore, you know, the signing of the Paris Accord is a seminal moment. Uh, then Aadhaar, you know, and, you know, hats off to Nandan Nilikani. And I keep speaking to him about this, that, you know, it's, he's just the, you know, it's, it's a single man genius to have, you know, uh, come up with this concept. And it went through its own, you know, ups and downs. We wrote about this extensively in 2017, but this whole digital infrastructure is very unique to India. No other country has this system and we'll Mm. come to that a little later in our conversation. And the fourth thing is, you know, the shift in government policy, which has taken many, many years. But we are now entrenched in a policy that is uh, targeting to lift the share of profits in GDP. Therefore, fuel and investment cycle, therefore, create jobs, create wages and, you know, create a virtuous cycle of growth. So these are the foundations to what happened to be, you know, three pillars that are driving India's decade. Uh, or the new India as we call it. One is offshoring. So we're gaining from this global multipolar world thesis, uh, which is shifting production to India. And even while COVID was such a bad thing, the silver lining on that dark cloud was that the CEO around, you know, the typical MNC in the world suddenly became comfortable with work from home. Mm-hmm. And then it is actually much better to work from Mumbai than Florida. At least it's a lot cheaper. Cheaper. (laughs) So jobs are shifting to India as a consequence. So we were already there in the services, uh, uh, you know, export market. But our market share in the last two years has gone up by 60 basis points from 3.7 to 4.3. It's a big increase in market share in a two years time frame. And I think this is going up further. The second pillar is, is the energy transition. So, you know, in part because of the Paris Accord, a lot of our incremental energy needs will be met by renewable sources, mostly solar and hydrogen. And the second thing is that over the past 10 years, we have increased our access to energy. See, energy consumption is not only about uh, about uh, prosperity, it's also about access. And in fact, it's very intertwined with economic prosperity. The fact is that numerous villages, you know, hundreds of thousands of villages in India did not have electricity. Now, all of our six lakh plus villages have electricity. This is going to lead to a big transformation in energy consumption. So we are making an estimate there that our per capita 
per day consumption of yeah. elect- of energy in all forms which includes electricity it includes transportation fuel includes food goes from 950 watts to around 1500 watts in the next so about a 60% jump in 10 years just you know just fathom the uh, the the comparison the us is at 9000 watts so the average indian right now consumes about 900 watt bulbs in a day okay and that's going to go to 1500 watt bulbs a day and that is such a big transformation that is underway it will have multiple implications on uh, growth on our macro stability on inflation on our fertilizer subsidy on cold storage chain on the way we consume food the way the food reaches our plate many many we have even not touched the tip of the iceberg in this report on this because that requires another 150 pages for me to deal with and the third is the digital infrastructure which is on the india stack and for those who are familiar with the india stack and i'll assume that your audience is at the bottom we have aadhar which is your ekyc and then we have built uh, the digilocker layer then we have built the e sign layer you know nowhere in the world can i sign a document in the cloud okay like i can do in india i can sign my property document in the cloud rental document in the cloud okay on that we built all these payment layers uh-huh. which is upi fasttag i mean imagine fasttag you know i know i'm going on and on but fasttag is <laughs> fasttag is revolutionary okay it's a, it's a it's a layer built on the india stack and now there are these three big layers coming on it which are very disruptive uh, one of them is ondc which is our digital commerce layer it will change the way e-commerce is done and the world will look at, look at us with awe hmm. because we are unbundling the e-commerce experience yes. see today when you do an e-commerce transaction it's bundled which is the e-commerce uh, 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 website will offer a range of products to you from specific vendors you will have to pick up that then it will decide for you how it is going to be delivered and it will decide for you how you will make your payment in the ondc world everything is unbundled so you first of all you are not limited on your product range you are not limited by the vendors you choose you may want to pick up the product from your next door kirana store or from uh, a dry food store in kashmir on shrinagar right and then uh, the way it has to be delivered to you you will decide okay and the way you make the payment is also your decision so the whole experience is unbundled the next layer is oken which is the credit enablement network uh and that is going to change the way we lend money uh-huh. so i was actually discussing this uh, earlier today uh, you know i i i sit on the advisory board of a ngo called uh, project mumbai and we were discussing about this thing that the government has uh, essentially um, is pushing state governments to create more lending to hawkers and maharashtra government apparently is now on board with it so you know there are maybe hundreds of thousands of hawkers in mumbai they have no access to uh, formal credit sure. why because they have no asset on which they can uh, make a pledge because all our lending is asset based under oken it will become cash flow based okay mm-hmm. now the vada pav guy sitting on uh, uh, on in bag bay reclamation that famous guy you know today he doesn't have an asset to pledge he cannot grow his business without credit he can he can pledge his cash flow and because he's taking payments on upi he's got nice a record of cash flows he can prove to the bank that see i am making so much money in a day okay 
and the bank can rely on that record and you know if you're filing gst if you're filing income tax returns even better because all those things are on the india stack and you can actually make a credit decision a very very sound credit decision so this will revolutionize credit and the third layer is on health which i think uh, again we have only touched upon very briefly in this report because that is another major change uh, but it will you know it will it will have an impact on how we do insurance and again it's going to be quite unique to india so these three big idiosyncratic pillars give us the confidence that you know we are heading into maybe a decade two or three of india's dominance of the world and we did some estimates uh, using my global colleagues india will be in the next decade according to our estimates a staggering 20% of global growth okay digest that one fifth we are right now 3.5% of global gdp yes we will drive 20% of gdp growth in the world okay so there is no way a ceo or an equity market investor can you know ignore this country okay he or she will have to be engaged and digest is other number we are 3.5 trillion dollars by our estimate we are you know hitting 7.9 trillion in 10 years we're adding more economic output than we have added since this in country 10. was formed okay in 10 years so just imagine what this is going to do okay i know i'm going on and on but it is inverting the pyramid the income pyramid so our income pyramid sits like this yeah the lowest layer the poorest layer is the biggest the you know uppermost layer is the smallest obviously that's how an income pyramid is at the top which is households that earn $35000 a year the number is 5 million okay so india is not an attractive market for luxury goods because that doesn't mean it has enough demand for a louis vuitton or for a cartier or for you know anybody right and at the bottom we have people who are struggling to make two ends meet i mean they're just barely going past roti kapda makan they earn $1000 uh, you know uh, a year on a per capita basis that's just enough for them to have you know life this is inverting okay so it's becoming like this it's not going to become like this obviously but it will become like this at the top that number goes from 5 million to 25 million and i think a few companies have already caught on to this so both the names i mentioned louis vuitton and cartier both now have their global ambassador as deepika padukone okay because they can see that this is going to be the market in which they will sell more stuff than any other market this is exactly what happened to china 20 years ago Uh-huh. and india is on the verge of that transformation at the bottom these people rise they'll start painting their homes they'll start training their kids to school they'll start uh, buying internet connections they'll start uh, you know uh, buying better mobile phones etc so there's a whole transformation happening to consumption so a lot of things you know i'm so excited it's unbelievable and viewers thank you for tuning in today <laughs> but you said it all right no really but uh, you know uh, the the interesting thing is and i i, I tweeted about it uh, these days when we do twitter spaces wherein people log in uh, for the audio conversation there are people tuning in on the space at 9 pm from new york and asking guests asking me how is it that we can invest into india what is the most efficient way is there an index which we can do is this index better than that and i don't have an answer to that you know thank god <laughs> that access is not so easy yeah one of my biggest fears is uh-huh. where everybody joins this party and we get a bubble that's true okay and bubbles are bad that's true because they crash and when they crash they leave a lot of scars 
so we rather have these people come a little later to the party because right now our own brethren our retail investors are on top of it and you know let them exhaust it because you know for the time being if if both foreigners and domestics start bidding stocks then you know these prices are not going to stay sensible anymore yeah, that's so true. my one worry is and this has happened okay because in 1992 we had a bubble in india the market was trading at 50 times earnings and it crashed and the scars were so deep that a whole generation of retail investors shunned the equity markets mm. and it needed that whole generation to pass before equity investors return to in indian equity market so i think you know we, we let it happen yeah, more slowly, slowly. yeah, yeah it will sure. be more enjoyable i guess so i guess so okay uh, uh, some challenges and some positives mm. to this now a couple of things that i want to understand from you right in in your report a number of times you've spoken about the india stack and spoken about how it moves us from a prepaid economy to a mm. postpaid mm. economy can you talk about the significance of this that's actually nandan's phrase so i I've stolen it from him. I've stolen a few things from him actually, sure, uh, without asking him. But uh, prepaid to postpaid is uh, is essentially um, uh, what we saw in the mobile world, right? Which is you first paid for the services and then the service was delivered to you. Now there are multiple reasons for that. Uh, one primary reason is that there is no credit available. Uh-huh. Okay, so you cannot have a postpaid economy. postpaid means i will pay for it later which okay. means today i you you give me a loan give it to me on credit and i'll pay for it later that can only happen when there is access to credit and that's what india stack is going to change and you know the numbers are very attractive for india because private credit to gdp is 57% okay so it's pretty low uh, just to contextualize this that number is 225% in china okay four times more and uh, yes of course india's per capita income is lower so it ought to have lower credit but even adjusted for that uh, india is i dare say underleveled hmm. especially corporate india because corporate debt to gdp is just 46% okay and uh, therefore there is a lot of scope for this to rise and that's i think what will happen in the next 10 years because access to credit improves and the starting point of the balance sheet is underleveled incomes are rising so people will spend their future see when you take a loan you're spending your future but in this country we have never spent our future true okay my father never borrowed money in lakpur i have never borrowed money so we have never spent our future we have only spent our current income whereas in the us people have spent their future which is you know one of the big problems that we have in the world which yeah, is the sure. indebtedness is very high so i think india we will see that that because the capacity to spend the future only arises when you have access to credit Hmm. and that is what uh, the india stack is enabling okay uh, the other question is on the energy transition now uh, what i want to understand from you is when you talking about this whole move that will happen we'll consume more there'll be different ways in which we are doing are you trying to emphasize on the the way the the spend that happens into the energy revolution that comes in or india's dependence going down on globally imported fuel sources which leads india to of course have a better quality of life but with power sources which are indigenously manufactured so both okay. we are both both of them are happening simultaneously and that's never happened in the history of the world hmm. never happened it's going to be the first time the world will witness a transition in energy in terms of consumption and sources okay so we have seen uh, you know source transition like the electric bulb was a source transition from hmm. gas to electricity hmm. okay 
and then uh, you know we went to auto fuels that was another source transition that happened from horses so we were consuming horse energy and then we went to uh, fuel energy but in india not only is an energy transition happening we are also seeing this big transition in the level of consumption and that's very simple to understand you, you look at the penetration of refrigerators in india for example mm-hmm. right we don't have refrigerators and it will get refrigerated because as incomes rise people will buy refrigerators people will buy air cooling and air heating we don't have that sure. it's not ubiquitous it's not easily available these are these are very simple and basic things in the western hemisphere okay they are luxury goods for most indians that's okay. true okay so that is going to change in the next you know several years as more people rise up the income pyramid and that's all these are energy intensive uh, utilities so they will consume energy the other source of energy consumption is travel there's going to be a major boom in travel hmm. both internal and external and that is also possible only because income rise so it is circular and as we have said in the report that energy access and prosperity are circular that's so true. the more you give energy the more prosperity you get because the more you travel the more jobs you create the more jobs you create the more you travel so you know travel is going to boom i mean that's you know vacations will boom hmm. okay so that's one thing and then the source which is you know it's transitioning to renewables now this is somewhat forced upon us but it's also something we would want to do because we i think have been too vulnerable to global energy cycles and you know this is a good point for us to liberate ourselves from that and and you reckon in your assumptions that over the course of this decade a large portion of that will 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 become domestic oriented so to say yeah so our estimates are slightly less optimistic compared to the government mm-hmm. uh, which i feel comfortable with but maybe we are you know underestimating this move because some really large private sector companies are engaged in this and i cannot see why and how they are going to be unable to deliver it there are lots of debates especially around hydrogen but i think they'll they'll probably get addressed in the next few months and it will become a viable fuel source for india so you know this is is possible india has uh, is endowed with very good natural conditions uh, for renewable energy okay yeah. we have just not tapped it okay now we are tapping it we have sunlight in 80% of our country for 80% of the year very yeah. few countries have that okay so we have a very large coastline we can you know wind energy is not as effective but it is possible in india more than almost anywhere else okay so this is something we have not tapped into now we are tapping into it so i think it will happen you know give or take a few you mm-hmm. know the number. reason i harp so much upon it is because when you write in your report where can we go wrong mm-hmm. amongst the three or four or five things mm-hmm. the one thing that stood out was energy right because if a lot of people are saying that i mean to quote an ex colleague of yours if oil is the new data for the decade and if india still relies on imported energy and if energy prices stay higher and elevated then that could prove to be absolutely an yeah. heel. So this, all this doesn't take that away because this transition happens like this right sure. we're not here we're still here right and energy prices can go like this now so that is going to be disruptive and it will cause pain and uh, we have become a bit more resilient to it than we were in the past mm-hmm. i think i explained this on a previous show which is largely because of the way our external balances are being funded it's largely fdi now and not fpi portfolio investors tend to be highly sensitive to short term fluctuations in energy prices and have in the past reacted adversely to rising yeah. energy prices and caused uh, disruption to both markets and macro mm. 
It's not happened this year. The, the consensus view in February was India is going to be in trouble because of the war, energy prices are going to rise. Nothing of that sort has happened because the funding on the external side is very stable. It's long-term funding, which is less sensitive to oil. Hmm. So 50% of the problem has been resolved. The other 50% of the problem is that we still import energy and therefore, you know, that will get resolved over time. But till the time it's resolved, it is still a risk factor. Hmm. Does execution uh, still remain a challenge to your mind? A lot of, a lot of decisions, a lot of, uh, uh, things that have to be done are also per, uh, the, you know, a state subject, so to say. We've seen what's happened with the farm laws, wherein arguably a good move, uh, um, and you can argue and debate, debate it both ways, but a move that was almost thought to be a given got challenged and got repealed, so to say. So does execution remain a challenge in all of these, uh, optimism or rather the assumptions that you've made? So those are the pros and cons of uh, the democratic institution that we run and the manner in which our constitution was set up. Mm. You know, our, our forefathers, when they wrote the constitution, uh, in their wisdom, decided that land, labor, agriculture and electricity are going to be state subjects. So it's not for want of effort at the center. Okay. They have tried very hard to change these things, but you know, the consensus in the state doesn't arise because each state has got different priorities. And hence my question. Yeah, so those hiccups will come along the way hmm. and, uh, you know, they will have to be negotiated and they could cause some delays uh, and some of it is embedded in our forecast. So oh, therefore, therefore there is okay. a bull case and there's also a bear case. Sure. Where if things really go nasty, like, you know, I don't know what the 2024 election outcome will be. And we have voted minority governments in the past. And if we decide to vote another minority government for whatever reason, it could slow down execution and then we go to our bear case. So we are discussing the base case, but there is a bull and a bear scenario as well. If we execute exceedingly well, then we'll head to the bull case. If we don't, then we'll head to the bear case. But the bear case is also not very bad. It will still come out top in the sense that uh, we'll still end up being a top three economy in the world Hmm. because the rest of the world is shredded right now. So we are still looking okay, except that the gap to number two will be wider than what we have in our base case. Got it. I'll borrow a line from the note. Uh, actually, you know, just thinking of the implications, uh, etc. So you, you've, you've mentioned, for example, that manufacturing the pie could increase 3x by 2031. Also on your, in your note is the discretionary spending boom is on the horizon. Now my question to you is over the course of the next decade, and I think you've mentioned till 2031. So let's say nine years out. Uh, how do you reckon is the best way. Now I'm bringing the equity element into this aspect mm-hmm. as well. What do you think is the best way to play this optimism that Ritam Desai and team Morgan Stanley are putting out in this note? So there are four sectors that seem to be the biggest beneficiary. So the first one is financials because there is a large amount of credit growth that we are sensing. And um, India's fintech is developing very differently from the rest of the world. So there's a lot of partnership between the banks and the fintech. So they're not as disruptive. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, a bank makes money out of its liability franchise and credit risk decisions. Okay. So these are the two most important ingredients to a bank. And, and I feel that it's going to be very hard to you know, compete against the well-run banks. So they will win uh, along the way. 
In that, I would also include a host of other financial services because when we say financials, everybody thinks only banks, but there are a lot of other things that are happening like exchanges, like credit rating agencies, like, you know, there are a slew of financial services that are not necessarily balance sheet based. And those are also very attractive businesses and they'll all grow along with the entire economy. So that's one. Second is discretionary consumption. And you can pick your spot there because as I said, you know, from home effects to travel, education to media, you know, a lot of things are going to do well. When you are investing, of course, you have to assess that business model per se and, uh, you know, that's a different exercise. So, I'm only talking top down here. I'm not talking yeah, about specific sure. uh, things that you have to actually end up doing in order to make a good investment call. Of course. But, but uh, sorry, just wondering, but there is some bit of it that is already in evidence, right? I, I think, uh, I remember this page number 71 in your note. Oh my God. Speaks <laughs> about uh, evidence of this being there from 2011, wherein the changing, there is a change in pattern of how India is consuming discretionary versus food versus yes. something else. So the change is underway and hmm. those changes will accelerate as we go into the next 10 years. They will yeah, accelerate. They will okay. Likely fine. accelerate. So okay. that is, uh, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, though I couldn't have quoted the page number. That's okay. Uh, I read it. So I know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. sorry. Yeah. The third, I think, is industrials because there should be a fairly strong CapEx cycle. And uh, that, I think, is something we'll watch out for. Uh, you know, this CapEx cycle is crucial for earnings growth because oh. earnings are intricately linked to investments until the investments become unproductive. So think about the 03-08 cycle. Uh, earnings growth compounded at 25-30% because the investment to GDP in the private sector rose from 4% to 17%. Then a point came when those investments started becoming unproductive or a little bit uh, ambitious or reckless. And that was the peak of earnings. And then after that, you know, the earnings start declining. So we are very far away from that point. Balance sheets in India are very depleted of capital stock. And there are lots of new investment avenues that are emerging. So industrial should do well. And then I'll add a sector which is not doing well right now, which is under a bit of a cyclical, uh, you know, uh, pressure, which is IT services. Because digitalization that the world is doing, which we talked at the outset, is right at the doorstep of Indian IT services companies. Nobody is capable of delivering at scale Hmm. and at those prices the type of uh, uh, stuff that companies around the world need in the next 5-10 years to respond to the shifts that are happening in the marketplace. So Indian companies will be there. And we'll see in this U.S. recession how they, you know, the possible U.S. recession and how they actually end up behaving. But I think they will not be as bad as previous U.S. recessions. Because some of this demand on digitalization is structural in nature. It will withstand a Western world recession. Mm. Yeah, as companies are saying, there are CEOs who are saying we won't stop this whole process. I mean, we are midway through it. We can't yeah. just stop it yeah. because there are some changes. There will be some slowdown, yeah. but it will not be a stop. And therefore, the revenue implications for Indian companies may not be as bad. Okay. Um, last couple of questions. Um, it, again, in the note, you mentioned that in the coming decade, the number of people employed in India for jobs outside the country is likely to at least double to or about 11 million. Now, my question is out here, I'm just trying to understand, are you kind of talking about um, people choosing India as a workplace destination or is this outsourcing jobs being in no, India alone? Outsourcing, outsourcing alone. It's just outsourcing. And uh, this is the direct outsourcing jobs. Around this, a lot of other ancillary jobs get created. So it doesn't include that number. 
You okay. could multiply this number by four or five to arrive at the actual job creation that gets created only from offshore. Okay, great. Um, I wonder if Rhythm Desai mm-hmm. um, wishes, just looking at the scenario, with due respect, you are very young, but if he wishes that he would be my age and I would be Rhythm Desai's daughter's age, uh, should I wish for that? Simply because if India does well, not just for this decade, but as you said in your opening preamble, uh, uh, maybe two or three decades, then we are looking at a vastly different country than what we have experienced in the last X number of years. You know, we are already a vastly different country. We sure are. We, we tend to run down ourselves. Hmm. Okay. And we're very harsh on ourselves. I've lived the last 30 years. We've completely transformed. Okay. In 1989, I had, you know, uh, stupidly taken a car ride to Vadodara. It took me 13 hours to get there. Okay. Okay. In 2021, I did the same car ride in five and a half hours. That's a lot of progress. Just a lot of years. Just just do the compounding. No, no, it's a fantastic progress. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's a lot of progress on infrastructure. We just run ourselves down thinking that, you know, we're not making enough progress, but we have. Could we have done better? Of course we could have done better. Okay. And uh, are there flaws? There are many, many flaws. There are some deep flaws. But, you know, slowly, slowly those are getting fixed. So I, you know, as I said at, you know, the recent event that we had hosted, you have to be optimistic if you're in the equity market, right? Yeah. And there's, there's no other, otherwise you can, you know, you can do something else. Yeah. But I think India is on a solid path. Um, I think uh, we have a very uh, deep rooted equity culture in this country. We have risk takers everywhere. Um, It's, it's always been there in our blood. And that's a good thing for the economy. And uh, you need a little bit of government support. You need a little bit of luck. And then we'll arrive there. Okay. Can I actually, uh, I'll end with a bit of an anti-climax, if you will, Rhythm. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the note itself, the quantum of things that I hear from people outside, there are, I mean, for a large country like India, there are, need to be a bunch of things that need to happen mm-hmm. for it to get really transformed, right? Now, your note speaks about a clutch of options, right? I mean, this this whole, I mean, the ONDC mm-hmm. thing is the most well-known. There are a few things that I didn't know, for example, that people are getting an SMS for the monies that they have to be transferred to them because they may not have bank yes, accounts. Yes, and therefore, QR codes, yeah. yeah, your QR code. So that is happening. There are a bunch of other things. What would you believe should be the one thing, never mind the hiccups, if that were to happen, that will really uh, mean uh, miracles uh, <laughs> over the course of the nation? Because there are a bunch of things out there. I'm just trying to understand personally. Forget the equity culture, just, just as a nation. Okay, so as a nation now, I think our biggest problem is, and our biggest uh, advantage is our agriculture sector. Okay, 350 million acres of farmland, 50% of this country, country's land mass is being used to grow food. Okay, 137 million landowners, farmers, plus another 120 million non-landowners who also do farming. So in all, approximately 50% of our workforce sits on these farms. And in all, they produce 15% of total output. Because that's the share of agriculture in GDP. So from an maxi, because you asked a question, it's a big question. And there are lots of perspectives. But from a macroeconomic perspective, if we could fix this, we will be in a runaway growth. Okay. Just imagine if we could just fix this. Okay. Either 
consolidate land holdings mm-hmm. because today you know the average farmer in india owns just two and a half acres of land and millions of farmers own sub one acre you cannot bring irrigated water to the such plots you cannot apply tractors you cannot apply any scientific inputs to this and therefore the productivity of this land is subpar okay if we could raise the productivity by whatever means okay which could be consolidating the land or whatever it is the we will feed half the world yeah but it's interesting because for example i mean i mean, a really sharp mind and i don't remember the exact answer that manish chokan had given me 2 years back but he was of the opinion that instead of trying to uh, work towards a profession which is got a bunch of disguised unemployment to itself and the productivity is not very high we need to move a lot of rural population to urban uh, money creating jobs because this will not improve by itself as is yeah so that is ancillary and he's absolutely spot on okay which is if you create opportunities elsewhere then a lot of these people will leave their farmlands or if you encourage them to because you know we are we, we have we have laws in this country which make it impossible for a farmer to sell land to a non farmer right if that changed okay then that farmer can exit the current business that he or she has and go into a new business right sure so either way you create that environment which fixes the farm sector productivity okay i'm not prescribing the solution here sure, there sure. are multiple ways That's of doing it manish chokhani's approach is one way the, the other approach is consolidation whatever and you know the the irony of this is that it's largely man made problem it's not a natural problem it's a man made problem created by laws it's not a problem created by uh, you know nature in fact we are so well endowed you know and i don't think any country on the planet has 50% any large economy smaller economies have sure. like, you know tanzania kenya but we have 50% of our land mass under agriculture 20% of it in forest land 70% we only grow plants <laughs> it's incredible it's incredible right. okay so uh, and we have a 1.4 billion people who live on the remaining 30% so our population density is about 12 or 15 times more than america you know digest all these things but again that's you know that's not the problem the problem is farm sector productivity is is poor and it needs a serious lift and if it got lifted i think we will liberate ourselves from a lot of problems that we have inshallah as they say but you know viewers you understood by this one interview as also the past it's almost impossible to uh, cross question or beat rhythm desai on numbers and memories so i will not do that what i will do though is quote a number 25 years uh, rhythm desai congratulations on 25 glorious years at morgan stanley thank you so much viewers thank you uh, well, this was a pleasure thank you so much for this report and this conversation bunch of insights there thank you